to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Monday, April 10th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode 920, and coming up on today's show, we take a look at the state of New Mexico, where the governor has vetoed two bills that would have moved criminal justice reform forward. In our cannabis focus, we'll combat a new outbreak of reefer madness on the African continent. In drug war data mining, Illinois voters are ready to legalize marijuana, but their law makers eh, not so much and in our cannabis q a dr mitch Earlywine reveals the latest pharmaceutical shown to be unnecessary when cannabis is allowed then in the radical rant i'll show how odd idaho governor butch otter is keeping the state in a perpetual state of dark ages by being a puppet of law enforcement but first let's get to the news Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, April 10th, 2017. New Mexico Governor Susana Martinez vetoed House Bill 527, a measure that would have made improvements to the medical cannabis program. The most significant provision in the legislation would have allowed New Mexicans diagnosed with opioid use disorder by a licensed practitioner to be eligible for medical cannabis program. Nationally, in 2015, more people died from opioid overdoses than died from HIV-AIDS when that epidemic peaked in the 1990s. And New Mexico suffers from a disproportionate rate of opioid overdoses compared to nearly every other state in the nation. Governor Martinez also vetoed restrictions on solitary confinement in jails and prisons for juveniles, pregnant women, and the mentally ill. Martinez, a Republican, said the solitary confinement bill passed by the state's democratically controlled legislature could have endangered the lives of inmates and guards. Dozens of companies selling ancillary products and services in the marijuana industry were purged from mainstream payment processors like PayPal, Stripe, and Square in January and February. Entrepreneurs say it happened at around the same time that the Trump White House suggested federal enforcement against recreational marijuana might be increased and after Attorney General Jeff Sessions described the legal marijuana industry as violent. These startup businesses, companies selling vaporizers, CBD products, and software to marijuana users or marijuana companies, were kicked off payment processors and other mainstream business platforms in mass as a result entrepreneurs affected by the purge say President Donald Trump's administration sent more signals last week that it intends to enforce federal laws against marijuana use, yet advocates for legalizing the drug are still trying to sort out exactly where Trump himself stands on the issue. Representative Steve Cohen suggests they should look to Jared Kushner for clues. Quote, it comes down to WWJD. What would Jared do? End quote. The Memphis Democrat said. Com- 
Kushner is Trump's son-in-law and one of his most trusted and influential advisors. He's married to Trump's daughter, Ivanka, and is seen by many as someone who brings a moderate sensibility to the White House and a steadying influence on the commander-in-chief. Kushner's position on marijuana legalization is unclear. He doesn't appear to have ever made any statements, pro or con, on legalized weed. But Cohen has a hunch he's an ally, saying, quote, How can you be 36-year-old and grow up in New York City and be for having people jailed for marijuana? End quote. Six-term Democratic U.S. Representative Earl Perlmutter is entering Colorado's race for governor in 2018, saying he can do more for Colorado at home than he can in Washington. Perlmutter formally announced his candidacy at a rally Sunday in Golden, Colorado, and quickly established himself as the frontrunner in the Democratic primary. Colorado's Democratic Governor John Hickenlooper is stepping down because of term limits. Representative Perlmutter has introduced legislation to increase marijuana businesses' access to banks and co-sponsored other cannabis reform bills, according to the Marijuana Moment newsletter. Quote, the Trump administration, coupled with the gridlock that exists in Congress, really is causing things to go backward, Perlmutter said in an interview. I feel I can provide more service and leadership at home than I can in Washington. End quote. Members of a Maine legislative committee were divided Thursday on a bill that would prohibit hospitals from rejecting organ donation recipients based on their use of medical marijuana. Committee members voted 6-5 to five against endorsing the bill after two doctors leading Maine's only organ transplant center explained why the program adopted a strict policy against medical marijuana use by potential kidney recipients. During the past decade, two patients at the Maine transplant program at the Maine Medical Center both marijuana users, died from a rare lung disease caused by a type of fungus occasionally found in marijuana, possibly because their immune systems were compromised. LD-764 would have prevented Maine Med from rejecting would-be recipients based solely on their use of medical marijuana. Six other states require transplant programs to treat marijuana like any other prescribed drug. Guam House Speaker Benjamin Cruz on Tuesday afternoon will reconvene a series of public hearings on a bill to legalize marijuana for recreational use by adults on the U.S. island territory. Bill 834, which the governor sent down to the legislature earlier this year, would allow the government to regulate and impose a 15% tax on the sale of marijuana for those 21 years and older. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, April 10th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. These ingredients used to make crystal meth cost about $30. But the real cost is much greater. If you see suspiciously used items like these in your neighborhood, call 574-LMPD. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRust.com. At 
Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. If you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. All right, maybe you're high, too. Good for you. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me say that yeah baby yeah. a public service message from the rust belleville show marijuana is an addictive drug which produces in its users in seven criminality and death Marijuana is the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. If the hideous monster Frankenstein came face-to-face with the monster of marijuana, he dropped it from fright. You know, it's not easy countering seven decades of propaganda in a two-hour show, but let's try. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Reefer Madness Debunked. Well, today in Reefer Madness Debunked, we take you all the way to the continent of Africa. I picked up this piece from Capital News out of Kenya with the alarming headline, Legalizing Cannabis Could Plunge Country Into Social Chaos. Oh, my goodness. So uh, it's an interview with a uh, expert, a supposed expert, Dr. Kamati Shilabuka a research fellow at the University of Nairobi's Institute of Anthropology, Gender, and African Studies. Okay, so uh, Dr. Shilabuka argues that the consumption of marijuana could increase drastically if the push for its decriminalization sails through. And let me give you the quotes from uh, Dr. Shilabuka. When something is illegal, it means that service or commodity is in short supply. So the consumption is usually underground, And the price is usually very high. That then means if we legalize, the consumption will go overboard and therefore the price will go down. And even those who are consuming it covertly will have a chance of consuming it openly. End quote. Well, okay. let's just examine this for a second, Dr. Shilabuka, because this isn't any more an academic uh, exercise. This is no longer uh, a uh, abstract concept. This is something we have real world examples of now. You can look at Colorado and Washington and Oregon and Alaska, and you can see what has happened. And what has happened is that the price has gone down. Not a whole lot, but it has gone down. But this has not led to a massive increase of consumption. Not among the younger people who make up the bulk of the consumption, but there has been an increase of consumption among older people, especially 50 and older, because they now have a place to shop. They're not going to wait in the Walgreens parking lot for a guy who's 30 minutes late with a two gram short bag. Anyway, 
this increase in consumption hasn't led to any sort of problems that we've seen. We haven't seen a, a massive increase in workplace uh, absenteeism, massive decreases in productivity. We haven't seen massive increases in car wrecks or kids dropping out. I mean, all of the forecasted ills of marijuana legalization have failed to materialize. But Shilabuka on this uh, radio interview said the effects of cannabis pose a danger to society given that people who indulge in it have a tendency of exhibiting dramatic behavior. Dramatic behavior. In fact, his quote is, the effects of cannabis are dramatic, much as they may be less compared to tobacco. Their dramatic nature poses a danger to the social fabric. End quote. What is this dramatic output you're... The, the the terribly dramatic thing that happens because of marijuana is people overdose on the Doritos and have uh, an increased appreciation for noodly guitar solos. That's about it. Uh, there's not, there's not uh, people that are going wild and crazy and, and destroying property and rioting and looting and raping because of marijuana. Give me a break. This guy, uh, well, let's get some facts out first. The According to... The National Survey on Alcohol and Drug Abuse conducted by the National Authority for the Campaign Against Alcohol and Drug Abuse in Kenya, the Kenyan figures, Kenyan governmental figures, cannabis is the third most used drug in Kenya. I'd imagine the first two are alcohol and tobacco, just as they are in the United States and Canada and New Zealand and Australia and most of Europe. Cannabis is the third most popular drug. But here's a situation where this guy's got a solution in search of a problem. According to that uh, survey data, 1.2% of Kenyans are said to be using cannabis. 1.2%. It's like 8% here in America. 8% uh, annually, about yeah, 11, 12% monthly, right? We got about one out of eight people in America that smokes pot on a regular basis. And they're worried about 1.2%. Less than one out of, what, 90, 95 people? The global average is 2.5%. So they're less, less than half the global average of, of marijuana use. They found that 13.3% of Kenyans use alcohol, 9.1% use tobacco, and 1.2% uh, using marijuana. So uh, Shilabuka continues in the interview. He's uh, concerned that the increasing prevalence of cannabis use among youth and students could mean the ability to acquire knowledge among university students is hampered. His quote is, The use of this substance has different effects. Some students who use this cannabis may be irritated, some may be excited, some may panic, others may actually become dull. <laughs> uh, okay, again, I don't know what weed they're smoking in Africa. Uh, the weed we got over here, I understand is very potent and, uh, very powerful. And we don't have that situation going on, uh, with American weed. So I don't know what, uh, he might be worried about. And this idea that the university students, it's going to be a problem for the university students to be able to pick up new knowledge. I can list at least 10 of my lawyer friends who tell me, they would never have gotten through law school without cannabis. I know plenty of educated people 
who used marijuana throughout their academic careers and you know, graduated toward the top of their class and are top in their profession these days. So don't give me this, uh, it's going to be a problem for the university students. And so that's why we need to arrest and imprison people who are caught with this plant. He goes on to say, quote, it is hard to ascertain the impact of cannabis among students. We need to ask ourselves why students go to the streets, but you can really attribute that behavior to cannabis. <laughs> okay. Uh, and um, also that the argument on cannabis being less addictive than other drugs should not override the discussion on whether or not it should be legalized. See, I love that these guys that are opposed to marijuana legalization say that we need to not consider that it's less harmful, less addictive than the other drugs. Well, no, that, that shouldn't be a part of the argument. That's like those Trump supporters that say, well, you know, if you don't count California, Trump won the uh, popular vote. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. Uh, okay, if I don't count voters over the age of 50, marijuana is legalized in a landslide. Uh, sure, if you don't count all the data, you can come up with anything you want it to say. <laughs> so if we're having a discussion on whether a drug should be legal or not, you can't discount the fact of its relative safety compared to other drugs, especially the alcohol and tobacco that are legal. That's my biggest problem with the prohibition of cannabis. If we really were a drug-free society and we were really saying we don't want people altering their minds and we were banning all drugs, this would be a different discussion. But I was born into a society that accepts alcohol and tobacco the two most harmful drugs. If you made a list and said, all right, let's rank them in order of most harmful to least harmful to society, alcohol and tobacco would be top of the list. And those are the ones we made legal. So no, I can't accept that. I cannot accept that. I have to stop my pot smoking and that we can't discuss whether or not it's safer than the alcohol and the tobacco. Society is basically incentivizing me to use more harmful drugs through our public policy. The uh, quote from uh, Shilabuka is, Our society tends to seek easy solutions without doing an in-depth study into some of these issues. How many people have done research on cannabis? Countless people. But how many have looked into such studies? <laughs> this is that uh, uh, well, the Catch-22 study argument, right? Well, there's not enough studies on cannabis to show that it's safe. All right, well, we'd like to do some studies. I'm sorry, you can't do any studies because cannabis is a Schedule 1 drug. Well, why is cannabis a Schedule 1 drug? Well, because it's an incredibly dangerous drug. Well, it's not an incredibly dangerous drug. Well, you're going to have to prove that. All right, well, let us do studies. I'm afraid we can't let you because <laughs> cannabis, say it with me, is a Schedule 1 drug. His final quote in this piece from, again, this capital uh, fm.co.ke from Kenya, quote, the use of cannabis varies across culture, and therefore I cannot say we legalize or not. That can only be done if we interrogate biomedical issues, sociocultural issues, the economic issues, and intellectual issue around the drugs. Then we can say legalize it or not, end quote. Okay, I, I'm all for that. I'm all for taking a holistic look 
at all of the issues surrounding marijuana legalization. You know why? Because the more holistic that look gets, the better our case gets for legalization. Let's look at how marijuana prohibition affects our environment by forcing people to grow in clandestine ways that use lights and fans to recreate the sun and the wind and how much energy footprint that has. In the United States, it's 1% of our energy consumption. In the West, it's like 3 to 9%, depending on where you're looking. So environment, we'll look at it that way. How about we look at criminal justice? Well, there's a myriad of issues where marijuana prohibition comes in there, civil asset forfeiture, people losing their kids, people losing their property, people losing their right to vote, people losing their uh, security clearances, etc. What about the children? All right, let's look at how cannabis prohibition is preventing children from getting life-saving medicines that could prevent their epilepsy, for example. Shall we go on? Man, I'm not going to any more of these bullshit Puno parties. Boy, after uh, Obama left office, he really let his hair down, didn't he? Uh, we got to take a break. It's 20 after, so happy 420 to our friends in the Mountain Time Zone. And uh, for the rest of us, uh, let's make sure that we uh, are ultra safe. Let's get to that safety briefing. We'll be right back with a look at Illinois legalization. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Half of what we spend on law enforcement, half of what we spend on the courts, and half of what we spend on the prisons is drug-related. And to what end? You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they... Amy to say that. That sucks. I hate... Yeah. <laughs> A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. One of the recurring themes we have in our fight to end adult marijuana prohibition is the widening chasm between the voters on this issue and the legislators on this issue. How far ahead we are on the issue of marijuana legalization compared to the people who have the power to do something about it. Survey after survey, poll after poll shows across the United States, majorities support marijuana legalization. Nationally, uh, we're looking at between 57% in the latest uh Pew survey all the way up or sorry, general social survey all the way up to 60% in the Gallup poll. So High 50s, low 60s here as far as nationwide support. And until you get up into the 
upper 50s, early 60s in age, or you get to the Republican side of the ledger, every other group supports marijuana legalization by far. So it is with that background, we take a look at this story in the Sangamon Sun. Illinoisans appear high on the idea of legalizing marijuana. Yeah. Boo for the uh, pot pun. Sorry. Not boo for the idea of legalizing marijuana. Boo for the pot pun. High on idea of legalizing marijuana. How long is this going to take before we finally get rid of the ubiquitous pot pun headline whenever there's a marijuana story? (sighs) Anyway, this uh, story says that nearly 70% of the people in Illinois support taxed and regulated marijuana. There's a survey just came out according to the Illinois Policy Institute. And this is important because there is a amendment submitted uh, by a Democrat from Chicago to legalize, tax, and regulate marijuana for those 21 and older. So according to this survey, more than half of Illinoisans of all ages support legalization. This is the Paul Simon Public Policy Institute at the Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. And when they looked at this, marijuana, uh, the uh, poll said 74% of Chicagoans support legalization. You're more likely to get a a better response in the city. Uh, 70% of suburban Chicagoans support recreational legalization. The support drops when you move down state. You start heading south in the more rural areas of Illinois but still kept a majority downstate support in Illinois still at 54% for support of legalization. Uh, It was inversely proportional to the age. Of course, 83% of people age 35 and under 77% people 35 to 50, 69% people 51 to 65 and 51% of those 66 and older, even among the seniors in Illinois, There is support for marijuana legalization, 51%. Now, the uh, amendment that's being proposed by this Democrat out of Chicago, uh, it bars public smoking. You know, most places do. Uh, You have to be 21. Uh, You can't cultivate marijuana in public view. Cannabis can't cultivate cannabis in public view. And the uh, and you have to keep it in an enclosed locked area. So people under 21 can't get at it. You could get 28 grams. You could have 28 grams possession, so you could possess an ounce in Illinois, but non-residents can only possess half an ounce, only 14 grams for non-residents. Says the amendment would not affect employers' ability to set marijuana use policies for their organizations. So in other words, you can still be fired for a piss test if this thing were to pass. It stipulates a tax rate of $50 per ounce wholesale, plus the state's 6.25% sales tax at the retail level. MPP says, Marijuana Policy Project, says that this could lead to revenue increases between $350 million to $700 million in the state of Illinois. Now, this will be interesting to see if they stick with the $50 per ounce you know, by weight taxation idea. Alaska has the $50 an ounce thing, but Alaska's kind of an outlier, not a whole lot of uh, commerce going on, you know, comparatively speaking. We originally proposed that here in the state of Oregon, and our legislature changed that up because we came to realize that a per ounce tax was problematic and 
would eventually be regressive. A $50 an ounce tax on a $300 ounce is one-sixth of the ounce, one-sixth of the cost, right? But you get that ounce cost down to $50, now your tax is a 100% tax. And that since that tax wouldn't be adjusting, it would keep the price, basically it would turn into a $50 incentive to be a black market dealer, <laughs> is what it would turn out to be. So we'll see how that works, pardon me, underground dealer. That's how We'll see how that turns out if you know Illinois is to pass this thing. Now, the concern I have is no matter how popular this is, in Chicago, 74%, just about three out of four, downstate, you're getting half. No matter how popular it is, this amendment's got to go through its legislature, as far as I understand this, and uh, the governor would have to approve it, and this governor, Bruce Rauner, not the kind of guy who is really for this kind of stuff. I mean, there's recent decriminalization. There's uh, possession of 10 grams or less is decrim in Illinois. So that's recently happened. And, and this is one of those things where they're going to make the excuse, let's not move so fast on this. Let's see how this is working out. Let's see how if we get more data from Colorado. Pretty soon that uh, argument's not going to work much anymore either. We're on year five of legalization in Colorado. All right, we got to take a break. When we come back, we'll have our cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. All sorts of interesting questions today, including a new study showing how cannabis could replace yet another one of the common pharmaceuticals that are prescribed in America. We'll be right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I hope you are as much fun on that dais as you were on your couch. Uh, well. <laughs> okay, well, maybe you're high, too. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. 
All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q&A. Tone, oh, oh, my goodness, we're getting a message here from Dr. Mitch. We'll have to try that uh, number again, uh, somehow coming up with his message line. But uh, Dr. Mitch Earlywine uh, joins us every Monday here on our cannabis Q&A segment. And we've got all sorts of interesting questions in the uh, pipeline for him, so we're hoping we get him on the line here really quick. Also, remember, if you've got a question for Dr. Mitch, you can always send it in to our phone line at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565. Uh, it records 24-7, so feel free to leave a message, a question. We might use it on a future show. Dr. Earlywine, welcome back to the show. Hey, we're having a crazy Passover get-together I had not planned for well. Could we uh, cut right to the questions, and I'll do the best I can as fast as I can. Absolutely. Our first question has to do with uh, a study that comes out showing uh, a reduction in the use of benzodiazepines for patients that are involved in uh, using cannabis. So I was wondering if you'd taken a look at that and what you thought. Yeah, and I mean, the bottom line is we think of these as medications for anxiety, and lots and lots of folks love the cannabis for anxiety. I'm still a big fan of some nice 12-session treatments and self-help books that are good ways to uh, battle the angst. So by all means, go with those first, but I do prefer the plant to the uh, pill. Yeah, it, this is just yeah, another uh, another competition for the pharmaceutical industry. We'll see if that has any effect on our legalization uh plans for the future let's uh take a look at this uh, particular one here on uh a, a article that was saying does marijuana or can marijuana give you a hangover is there such thing as a cannabis hangover so a researcher in stanford literally dozens of years ago uh tried to show that there was a hangover effect if you were going to try to fly a plane 12 hours and 24 hours after using a pretty high dose of cannabis and got some modest effects, but he measured so many things that I never really trusted it. And in truth, it's usually either dehydration or comorbid alcohol use that's the creation of any uh, cannabis hangover. So it's not cannabis really at all. It's usually alcohol. Mm, that figures. All right. Uh, uh, there's another article that was quite interesting talking about the uh, idea of marijuana and how it affects our time perception. What is uh, the mechanism? What's going on there that uh, leads to the famous time dilation effect with cannabis? It's not crystal clear, and we've seen uh, odd studies with alcohol as well, but basically they ask you to press a space bar and then press it again 30 seconds later. And unfortunately, with memory impairment being what it is, sometimes people just don't get to pressing that bar again right away. Um, so it's uh, obviously hippocampal, but we're not super clear on the exact mechanism. Some of the animal research suggests it might have something to do with how the hippocampus communicates with other areas of the brain. And what a surprise, it's involved in both memory and time, and it seems to be uh, in some ways a correlate of some of the pleasant effects of uh, any intoxicating experience. All right, let's do one final question here because we want to make sure that you can get away for Passover. I, I so totally spaced that, Dr. Mitch. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, me too. No, no, no problem. <laughs> but uh, there is a, uh, a bipartisan bill out there uh, at the federal level that would reclassify cannabis as a Schedule Three drug. And we always want to see people have access to cannabis as a medicine. But what are some of the consequences of rescheduling? If, if cannabis ended up in Schedule Three, how would that affect the existing medical marijuana programs yeah unfortunately i'm afraid this is a backhanded way to try to uh, undermine some of the medical cannabis states 
And uh, Schedule three drugs certainly would be open for some research, but it's still pretty tough to get it prescribed. Uh, a lot of paperwork for physicians if they do want to prescribe it, and you absolutely have to get it from a pharmacy. So the idea that medical dispensaries are suddenly going to have to go through all the hoops in order to become pharmacies just sounds to me like a, a backhanded way to try to hurt that market. I'm not behind this, not because I don't like the idea, but because I don't like the long-term implications. All right. Well, Dr. Mitch joins us every Monday here on the Russ Belville Show. You can also catch him on Burning Issues on Cannabis Radio. Happy Passover to you and yours, Dr. Mitch, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. All right. Stay tuned. We got a radical rant. We're going back to Idaho for this one. It'll be good. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show. Drugs are menacing our society. They're threatening our values and undercutting our institutions. They're killing our children. Okay, maybe you're high, too. This is a perfect platform to show people the, the, the support that this movement actually has. You know, this is, this is a, a new event for us, and look at how many people showed up and... and to, kick, to come see this panel and to hear what the hell is being said about legalization and medical Strength in numbers, strength in numbers. Yeah, you know, strength in numbers. And, and that's what this is, is to, to join all these, these like-minded people that believe in this cause. And uh, who better to have up here, you know, doing it, man? Tommy Chong, got him. You know, he served time as an example. I was thinking too, you know, they got uh, the Republican or the far right have the teabaggers. So we should create our own, or how about weed baggers? Weed baggers. We belong to the weed bagger party. The weed bagger party. And we believe in, we believe in giving uh, love and a bag of weed to all our neighbors. That has to be a. a, a, a Part of our trip when we're when we do get it legal, let's have a one day where everybody just gives weed to someone that needs it. We'll, we'll, we'll give a, we'll give a new meaning to the word sacrilegious. <laughs> July 1st, 2015, adult marijuana prohibition came to an end in Oregon. Immediately, over 400,000 adults who consume cannabis responsibly were no longer criminals. 
This is what freedom sounds like. Brought to you by Portland Normal. I think we have, uh, not, uh, we have too much of a tolerance for drug use, psychologically, politically, morally. We need to say, as Nancy Reagan said, just say no. Don't do it. There's no excuse for this. It's not recreational. It can be destructive, uh, and it consistently is destructive. Lives are at stake, and uh, we're not going to worry about being fashionable in my view, at this point in time. Uh, we're going to see, and we're already seeing, the death and destruction that results from the prevalence of drugs in America, and the argument's not going to be that hard to win in, in the months to come. You, it'll be, people will see too many of the people they know losing their lives. I reject the idea that we're going to be better placed if we have... More marijuana, and you can just go down to the corner grocery store and get it. Give me a break. This is high-purity THC content marijuana, uh, and it's uh, not a healthy substance, particularly for young people. I'm astonished to hear people suggest we can solve our heroin crisis. Have you heard this? By having more marijuana. Well, how stupid is that? Uh, give me a break. So we're going to have to stand up and confront that. Tell the truth here. My nation, nation needs to say clearly once again that using drugs is bad. It will destroy your life. In the 80s and 90s, we saw campaigns uh, stressing prevention. I spent a lot of volunteer time with volunteers in my hometown, as I think happened all over. Many of you participated in those, and it did work. We can do this again. Educating people and telling them the terrible truth about drugs and addiction will result in better choices by more people. We can reduce the use of drugs, save lives, and turn back the surge in crime that inevitably follows in the wake of increased drug use. Marijuana is a cure for opiate abuse. Give me a break. I mean, you know, this is the kind of argument that has been made out there to just a, almost a desperate attempt to uh, defend uh, the harmlessness of marijuana or even its benefits. Total war against public enemy number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a cheat and charm. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am here. That was that was the point. I think we'd be a mistake to leave the state. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. Today in the Radical Rant, we take a look at my home state of Idaho, where I was born some 49 years ago in a few weeks. But uh, I'm headed back there on Saturday. I'll be speaking at the Boise Hemp Fest. It is an officially licensed Seattle Hemp Fest uh, franchise. So it is the only Hemp Fest I'm aware of that is being held in an absolute prohibition state. Not only in the state of Idaho is it illegal to possess marijuana, to cultivate marijuana, even for medical purposes in the state of Idaho, it is illegal to be high. 
That's right. It's illegal to be high in public in the state of Idaho. And Idaho maintains this kind of island of absolute prohibition. You know, it's surrounded. Washington, Oregon, and Nevada all have legalization. Montana has medical that it has improved and strengthened in the most recent election. Even Utah and Wyoming have cannabidiol oil laws. Even Utah's moving forward on theirs, expanding the conditions and creating a, a way for it to be provided to patients. And of course, the nation of Canada to the north is set to legalize in 2018. So Idaho is really landlocked, just surrounded by marijuana reform. And there is one reason why. There is one man who stands in the way of marijuana reform, and that is the governor of Idaho and rejected name for a lesbian furry porn star, Butch Otter. That's right. Governor Butch Otter, the Republican governor of Idaho, who continues to stand in the way of any sort of reform. Now, to fill you in on this, in 2013, there was a resolution voted on by the Idaho Senate, passed 29 to 5, and the resolution was that Idaho is a tempting target for marijuana legalization advocates because it's got the initiative power, all the states around it have passed medical, they might try to do some sort of medical marijuana initiative, so it's the sense of the Senate... That marijuana shall never, ever, ever be legal. No hey, no how, nobody, no reason, ever, ever, never. Past 29 to 5. We're never going to legalize marijuana for anything, for any purpose, for any reason, for anybody. Past 29 to 5. Now, this, uh, uh, of course, had observers saying, uh, you guys know marijuana is already legal, right? It's already illegal in your state, right? Yep, but it'll never, ever, ever be legal. So that was 2013. Two years later, you had a, they come back into session, and in the intervening time period, the state of Utah pioneered the passage of the first cannabidiol oil law. And this is, of course, after Sanjay Gupta came out with the weed special, and everybody learned about little Charlotte Figi and the, and the Dravet syndrome, the terrible epilepsy. They give her some CBD oil. What do you know? It cures her. And the people of Utah, being a godly Mormon type of folk uh, saw the healing of children with one of God's miracles and thought, man, maybe that's a good thing. And so they passed a law for the cannabidiol oil. You could have the cannabidiol. If you went to Colorado and got some, we're not going to bug you. You can go ahead and have it. And right after Utah did that, two weeks later, Alabama did it. Another couple of weeks later, you had more southern states, Wisconsin, Iowa, passing these laws, Wyoming, passing these laws. So it rolls around by 2015. And the Idaho Senate, which again, two years earlier, had said, no way, no how, nobody, ever, ever, never. The Idaho Senate turns around, says, well, oh, well, hold on. <laughs> Epileptic kids. Well, whoa, Jiminy, uh, Utah. Oh, my gosh. So the House and the Senate passed a bill, broad bipartisan support to get this bill passed so that uh, there would be CBD oil for the state of Idaho. Gets to the House, gets to the Senate gets to the governor's desk, and he vetoes it. That made Idaho Governor Butch Otter the only governor to have vetoed a law for CBD oil for sick kids. Utah passed the damn thing, right? Only governor to veto it. And in his veto statement, he cited law enforcement. Law enforcement tells me this could be a bad thing, and we're not considering what might happen, the unintended consequences, and the public safety. we got to worry about the public. 
Meanwhile, this governor had no qualms signing a bill just in this last session that allows people on the freeways to pass another car at 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. Now, keep in mind, this is a state where you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet. You can carry a gun with no permit, concealed, no permit. And the top speed on some of the freeways is 80 miles per hour. So here's a governor who's got no problem with going 95 miles an hour, helmetless on a motorcycle while packing heat. That's not a problem for the public safety, but, oh, if we let an epileptic kid have a CBD oil that doesn't get him high, all hell's going to break loose. So that's your setup, right? That's your Governor Butch Otter. Here's the latest veto. This was, let's see, so the story is dated April 6th. So, yeah, last Thursday, Butch Otter vetoed four more bills. All four bills had broad bipartisan support. In the Idaho House, Idaho Senate. And uh, he vetoed all four. And one of them was a bill to reform asset forfeiture. Now, if you don't know the deal with asset forfeiture, here's the the deal. Civil asset forfeiture is this situation in American law where your property is charged with a crime. Now, you might be thinking, how can property commit a crime? There's no mens rea. There's no intent. There's no mind. You know, your couch, your your car, <laughs> your plane can't commit a crime, right? Well, the legal fiction, the legal argument here is that your property is the ill-gotten gains of a crime. The original idea of this was, you know, we got these cocaine kingpins in the Miami Vice era that are laundering their drug proceeds by buying yachts and, you know, diamond-encrusted tiger enclosures or whatever the hell, right? And we're going to punish them, right? If we catch these guys, well, we'll take all their stuff. We'll take all their stuff, and then we'll funnel it back into the cops, right? You know, it's like, why should these guys profit from being criminals and poisoning our, our streets? We'll take their stuff. We'll use that money to fight more crime. Well, that was the idea. Well, what has really turned into is a situation where the uh, cops are policing for profit. They're basically getting the idea of who do we go after based on how much money we can get off of it, not based on whether or not it's going to protect the public. And Butch Otter called this a classic case of a solution in search of a problem. That's a quote. He said, civil asset forfeiture is a solution in search of a problem, adding, quote, there have been no allegations that Idaho law enforcement officers or agencies are illegally or inappropriately seizing property from alleged drug traffickers. Its sponsors contend that the measure is aimed at preventing improper forfeiture of assets in the future, but there is no evidence to suggest that such a problem is imminent, end quote. Well, all this bill was going to do was going to make it so that you had to get a criminal conviction, right? You had to actually convict someone of a crime before you could take their stuff. The uh, It was House Bill 202A to prevent the seizure of cash from people who haven't been charged with a crime. Why did Butch Otter veto this bill? Because of law enforcement. Here's what he says. Uh, This is in uh, the uh, veto statement from uh, Butch Otter. 
At the same time, there is a legitimate public safety concern associated with allowing those charged with drug crimes to keep money, cars, and other civil assets that may be connected with those crimes. Not the least of these concerns is the potential for evidence to disappear or be tampered with. What's more, it is my view that it is right and proper for drug dealers to have a healthy fear of losing their personal assets if they are caught breaking the law. But while seeking to ease those fears, this legislation goes even further by placing an annual reporting requirement on law enforcement. It is a misplaced effort to hold those responsible for protecting us from crime more accountable while relieving those charged with committing crimes of a worrisome consequence. End quote. He is worried about the cops having to do paperwork. Oh my God, they might have to report exactly how much money and property they're stealing from the citizens. And this bullshit excuse about, oh, they might be tampering with the evidence, we might lose evidence. Many cases, these people aren't charged with a crime. How can they be tampering with any evidence when no crime has been charged? When there is no crime to prosecute for which we need evidence in court? It's all bullshit. It's because law enforcement likes the money. It's because law enforcement likes the money. This is a report that was in magicvalley.com. This is a Twin Falls area, uh, their uh, newspaper. Uh, Alex Briggins is the reporter. It was June 5th, 2016, entitled Seized Assets, Critics Push for Reform of Controversial Forfeiture Laws. So let me just read to you the, uh, the story. In the first days of 2010, the Twin Falls County Sheriff's Office received a tip from an anonymous source aren't they always that a Hispanic man and his wife hmm, were selling drugs out of their home. A deputy went to the home on January 8th, dug through the trash and found some evidence that a woman named Yasil Gomez lived there. According to the documents of the court, a week later, Gomez answered the deputy's knock on the door. So the Hispanic woman answers the door and the deputies told deputies at the door that there were no drugs and no large amounts of cash inside the home where she lived with her husband, Saul Torres. Notice that. Cops, when they go and they are knock and talk and start asking questions, don't just ask, well, do you have uh, any drugs in the home? They ask, uh, do you have any drugs or large amounts of cash in the home? Kind of gives you an idea what they're looking for, doesn't it? So the story continues. The deputies were persistent and asked Gomez if they could come inside to check for drugs. All right, folks. Say it with me. I'm sorry. Do you have a warrant? I cannot consent to any search of my home without a warrant, officer. Of course, this is easy to uh, follow if you know to do this and you're not, say... Uh, maybe have an English as second language problem or maybe don't have the education to back you up on this, whereas the cops, of course, do. So she, of course, didn't know any better. She consented to the search. And while looking through a tall dresser in the master bedroom, Deputy Guy Jocelyn found a plastic bag with a small amount of marijuana and a glass pipe with brown and black residue. The discovery prompted the deputies to secure the home and apply for a search warrant. Once a judge signed the warrant, a thorough search of the residence was conducted. But rather than finding evidence of a large-scale trafficking operation, like the anonymous tipster had suggested, deputies found only circumstantial evidence. And drugs? 
The search turned up just one more piece of evidence, another small bag of marijuana. In total, deputies found two small bags of marijuana and one pipe, or what law enforcement commonly refers to as a personal use amount. But in the top dresser drawer, next to one of the small bags of marijuana, the deputies found something else, $11,000 in cash. And in other parts of the house, they also found another $1,010. So Gomez claimed, the woman claimed the money came from her business, which is a little candle religious shop thing that only takes cash. But they seized the $12,010 anyway, claiming the money was contraband, fruits of a crime. Uh, They returned $3,000 to them ultimately when they were never charged with any crime. Uh, But the Twin Falls County Sheriff's Office kept the other $9,000. So again, Butch Otter, what was the crime we needed to keep this cash evidence uh, out of their hands for? Because they weren't charged with any. This happens all the time. The story goes on to tell other people's uh, situations. And of course, you got the problem with, you know, when they take your money, you have to go get it you have to go to court to prove that it's not drug money you have to prove and again remember you're not charged with a crime right you're not charged with the crime of being a drug trafficker your money is charged with the crime of being the proceeds of drug trafficking that you haven't been charged with you've got to go prove that you're not drug trafficking even though you've never been charged with that you've got to go prove that you're not a drug trafficker and then that money was legitimately gained and how you're supposed to do that when you just lost all your cash and you can't afford a lawyer, well, that's how the game runs, man. They know you're not going to come back for it. It's like these companies that offer rebates and coupons. They know most of the people don't use them, and so they make their money on it, right? So we have all these other stories. I mean, in the last year, when you start to add up the federal asset forfeiture stuff that's going on, More money was stolen from United States citizens by law enforcement than by burglars and thieves. I know, kind of redundant, but law enforcement took more money in asset forfeitures than criminals took in theft in the last year. 2014, the federal government was seizing $4.5 billion in assets. Now, how much is the state of Idaho seizing? We don't know. They don't have to keep records. We literally do not know. We have no idea how much money the state of Idaho, this bill would have required them to at least report. And and that's the other thing for Otter to have called out the reporting requirement. Like what if, like, let's say we don't change anything else. Like they can still seize, they can still steal the money. They can still seize it. We're just going to report on it. He's against that too. This is insane. And we have so many of these cases. Uh, there was a, a couple of weeks after the Gomez case. They had another case where um, cars were seized. I'm trying to find where this one um, this one was written up. There we go. In 2010, a month after Saul Torres and Jaseel Gomez lost $9,000 without being charged with a crime, a 15-year-old Colorado girl was arrested at the Greyhound bus station in Twin Falls on suspicion of drug possession. Police said the girl ran away from her Colorado home and rode the bus to Twin Falls to meet up with a 22-year-old man she'd met online. According to an affidavit, the girl had marijuana, illegal pills, and $1,265 in her purse. 
Police seized the cash and filed civil forfeiture against the money. The girl's mom said the daughter ran away, took the medical marijuana and cash without her knowledge. She's a disabled vet. Losing the money would cause her hardship. But Idaho kept the money anyway. Even though it wasn't the girl's money, it was the mom's money. Doesn't matter. Twin Falls police seized 4300 from Timothy Lee Craig. Uh, Buell Police Department, 1500 from Dewey Voorhees. $7,700 taken from Matthew Lynch. $9,100 taken from Zachary Tessier. Story after story after story. Um, Salvador Amaya Gonzalez, $14,600. And Butch Otter's fine with that because, well, they're druggies. They ought to be punished. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned for Hour 2. I'm going off on that United Airlines overbooking thing. For everyone else, thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seat, you're